All right, everyone, Cloudy with a Chance of Racing, episode two of season two right here. Uh, I think all four of us, we stayed rather dry uh, despite the downpour of rain in Daytona. And, uh, and even if we did get a little uh, rained on, I think we've all sufficiently dried out to discuss uh, the Monday night edition of the Daytona 500 in 2024. I'm Braxton, Jake, Dylan, and Steve here with me as well. And uh, it certainly was a long week of racing to uh, to break down and talk about, but we're going to give it our best shot, uh, guys. How'd you feel about the uh, the opening weekend of the NASCAR season? I thought opening weekend was uh, pretty good overall. The uh, I, I think that the I thought the first of all I thought the truck race was really good. Um, I, I think that night racing just makes it better. Um, it makes the racing look better under the lights, especially at Daytona. Um, I was really impressed with Raja Karuth, although uh, in what he did with wreck avoidance, he had caused some problems as well. Um, sort of going out of order here, but kind of in chronologically uh, from trucks to, to the cup, uh, the cup race I thought overall was, was pretty good. Um, the ending left a lot to be desired, but I think that the the best part of it was that there was a lot of noticeable strategy that teams were using, manufacturers were using. Um, I think there was another maybe two laps that should have been added on to the race uh, that we could have seen a little bit more of a a, a shootout. But um, you know the 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 racing overall was pretty good. Uh, I thought that it was a solid race. And uh, as far as Xfinity goes, I didn't see as much of it, but uh, Austin Hill won. Stop me if you heard this before. Uh, so, but it was, a, you know, for, for the opening weekend, uh, the package kind of stinks. Super Speedway package in the Cup Series, but um, I thought that racing was, was good overall. When, when you look at the three series, honestly, I thought that the Cup Series, Cup series was probably probably the best race out of the three. And, uh, it, and, and it seemed like this to me and the, I, uh, listened to the, uh, teardown with Jeff Gluck and Jordan Bianchi this morning, that the race w- went notably fast, the Daytona 500. Uh, there wasn't very many, um, it wasn't a crazy wreck fest. Like sometimes we see in these types of races, there was like the big one. That one was towards the end. It caused a, a red flag, but, um, you know, I, the race was, was pretty smooth. It had, had a lot of strategy, um, in the, in the, in the middle of it, um, which, you know, it shuffles the field around a little bit and, you know, the typical manufacturer, you know, guys working together. Um, the ending for the 500 left a lot to be desired. Um, and it was very underwhelming. I, I hate it just because I know that there are a lot of, uh, fans that, you know, just some just tune in for the Daytona 500. There, there's some more casual fans. Um, I would have loved to just seen a race to the line, uh, under green in the, in the scheduled finish. I feel like we haven't seen that at the Daytona 500 in a few years, uh, going the scheduled distance finishing with, uh, you know, under green and with the checkered flag. Um, but overall, yeah, it's, it, it, and about the weather, I mean, you can't have much worse luck than these first couple of weeks for NASCAR. And I'm, and I'm sure Dylan here will, <laughs> can dive into the weather situation. Yes. Thankfully this week looks much better for Atlanta. So shouldn't have any concerns for any of the, the series there, but, uh, for Daytona, the whole weather situation sucked, obviously, but I thought NASCAR handled it very well. They've been handling the terrible weather probably the best they've ever handled it. I talked about this on Twitter that uh, just how quickly they postponed the race from Sunday to Monday just uh, it you know help people out from sitting in the rain. I've been there at Daytona sitting for hours waiting on a decision to be made. Um, they weren't ahead and were proactive about that. Uh, for the truck series, um, race it just a lot of points about inexperience being a big factor um 
and I think why the truck series race was what it was. Um, didn't even mention really Arca. Arca, same kind of deal. Did give a very quote, uh, very uh, popular quote from that race as well, um, which we might get to later. Andy on. J. Uh, but that's being shared all over the place. But then the Cup Series race, I was a huge fan of it. It felt kind of old school there. Whoops, series speaking to me. Um, <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I thought that it was actually a really good race. I love the strategy. I did hate when they did the little fuel mileage deal, but the rest of the race is really good. Our local ESPN affiliate um, here in Lexington, ESPN radio affiliate, they had me on right at the top of their morning show talking about the race. Um, they were texting me, the two hosts on that show. Um, during the race thing, you know, they were casual fans, obviously, and they were really interested in the last 50 laps. I thought it was spectacular. The big wreck obviously changed things uh, for the end, um, and it does suck that it does not end in typical fashion. But, again, we kind of got a taste of what the 500 used to be. You know, with Dale Earnhardt winning, they didn't even get a race, really. I mean, they raced a little bit more back to A-line uh, there in that instance. But, yeah, it, it was a little old school in terms of the ending. But overall, uh, coming out of the week, pretty satisfied. And it is interesting now. Is this the first time ever we've had back-to-back points races at uh, drafting tracks? So this is that's this is going to be new. I wonder if there's going to be any fatigue from the fans as we head to Atlanta. Yeah, I'd say a very valid thought there, Dylan. Like I, I usually by the end of Daytona, I'm like, okay, I'm done with drafting tracks for a little while. Like, I want to see some actual, you know, off-throttle time and some braking getting in the corners and stuff. And I'm going to have to wait a whole another week for that um, before the series heads out west to Vegas. Um, yeah, you're totally right on that. There very well could be some fatigue. Um, I, I definitely want to ask, since we are a, uh, a slightly meteorology-based NASCAR show, Dylan, can you give a very, like, layman's terms explanation of why there was so much rain in Florida this week? Basically, a front just stalled out over top of Florida and didn't really move. Usually, there's like a stronger high pressure forming over, uh, you know, the southeast on the backside of these fronts to kind of push it off the coast of Florida this time of year. That high pressure was a lot weaker. And because it was weaker, it kept that front just sitting right over top of Florida. And it was another instance where the rest of the country is dry outside the West Coast. And we have Daytona dealing with rain. Um, it is crazy. I saw that up until 2012's postponement, there really weren't that many Daytona 500s impacted by rain as much as we've had since 2012. I mean, it's kind of crazy. It just must be kind of a cyclic pattern that we're stuck in here. I did see something, I think, on Reddit. And, and thanks for that explanation there, Dylan. I saw something on Reddit that said um, 2012... Ford wins the poll for the Daytona 500. 2024, Ford wins the poll for the 500. In 2012, the race was postponed due to rain to Monday. In 24, the race is postponed to rain uh, to Monday due to rain. And in 12, there was an accident with a jet dryer. In 24, there was a huh. slight accident with a jet dryer. Yeah, that was one Pablo Montoya. Yeah, it would have been real uh, crazy GP, had the '88 won the race because it would have been exact. <laughs> oh, that sorry, that was 2014. But yeah, yeah, sorry. yeah. Still, that would have another night. I don't think I don't think Jeff Gordon won it in '12. So yeah, mm, I don't even know who won it. It was, it was um, 13 was Jimmy. I it think it was right? Matt Kenseth, wasn't it? 2012 was that the year oh, that yeah, Kenseth might have been, yeah. won. He won at Daytona and then he won it. He won the first two races. Yeah, I think that was the year that he went. They, the first year reference because he went. I think he went. I think he went. He won the five hundred, and then he went to. They went to Auto Club, and he won that too. I think Let's he won the first three. Good old racing reference. Maybe it's just two. Matt Kenseth uh, won the Daytona five hundred. Denny Hamlin won at Phoenix. The uh, second race of the year, but Matt Kenseth did win the five hundred in twenty twelve. He there is. I think okay. I have to look this up because I feel like now I'm going crazy because did he win it twice then? Hold please. He did. He won it in 09 and then he went to California. Well, I didn't realize he won two Daytona 500s. Then he went to auto club and he won that too. Basically beat Dale Jr. in both of them, right? If mm-hmm. I can remember correctly. I think because in 09, um, 
man, I can't. Biffle blocked for him. Yes, that's what that in was. And tw- 12, yeah. Dale Jr. finished second, Biffle third. Yeah. Oh, and I right. forget that race. Small, that was in the heyday small of history my Dale Earnhardt Jr. fandom. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, I think we should go back a little bit to last week's show because I think there were a couple of things that, that we profoundly said that ended up being disproven very easily. One of them was, uh, Dylan, you had, you had said that the um, the Toyotas were bringing some fast cars, and they were fast in race trim, but in qualifying, you had to have been eating your words a little bit, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. That, I don't know where I saw that information, but I have uh, eliminated them as a source for the future. <laughs> I will say, though, like, um, it definitely seemed like the same trend that we've had the last handful of years that, you know, like Kendrick Motorsports dominated the uh, qualifying uh, the last handful of years, but then they didn't race very well in the duels and didn't race very well in the 500. Uh, the Chevys and the Toyotas were a little slower uh, in outright speed and single car speed this year, it seemed like, but then they raced fantastic compared to years past. Uh, and, and it, it, it seems like you, you have to pick one or the other and, and, uh, and Chevy and Toyota kind of hit it just right when you say that. Especially to even even draw that comparison on into the strategy that uh, the strategy of the um, the all the pitting and everything and the fuel like the Fords were always really really well aligned in doing that and it seemed like this time that the uh, the Chevys and Toyotas really had their their game together and their act together and uh, and and kind of outdid Ford on that too. Well, I you know if you look at the if the first stage um, you saw minimal action outside of the first, I mean, the, I think it was lap 14 where Brad tried to drive through everybody again, stop me if you heard this before. Um, but, uh, the end of the stage was a lot of strategy. And I think, you know, you see at some of these, you know, these big, big tracks where teams have to really work together. Um, it seems a lot of the time always like as the laps are coming down to the end of a stage that one of, if it's usually Ford, uh, pits um and they're able to get out before the other pack comes around which still keeps them in the lead as they get up to speed super quick which is what happened with chevy you know if you look i'm counting now one two three four five six of the stage winners for stage one were chevys led by chase elliott so um you know it was it 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 shook it up a little bit you know in the second stage uh because that was a little more of a mixture um, but you could kind of see that strategy early on where, you know, the Chevys were fast and they were working together, uh, and they were doing a lot of things that I think the Fords were like historically good at throughout the entirety of the, of the race at, at this track. So, um, you know, but it was good to see both of those, you know, or all, all the manufacturers It sucked to see, uh, you know, Jimmy got caught in some, in some bad luck, nothing really he could do about that. Um, but you know, it, it would have been interesting to see what they would have been able to do had, I feel bad for Harrison Burton, you know, like he's had two of the last three years he's gotten wrecked. I think the first, his first 500, he got wrecked by Brad. Um, so, but you know, the strategy is, is, is the thing that I think people have to look at if you're watching a race now, because sometimes the speeds just aren't up to, uh, you know, what you want them to be. And, and last point that I want to make was just about if, you know, there was a pack, and you saw AJ Elmendinger, who was, I think he hit like 190. Uh, he was catching up to the pack that was going slower than he was. So, you know, it's it was a really kind of a weird start to the race. Um, but the, you know, like we talked about a little bit that the, the Chevys and the Fords were doing pretty well together and Toyota not so much, but um, they did a pretty decent job toward the end of the race. Then it turned into a couple big ones. But, you know, overall, it was good stuff. Yes, yeah, so you talk about the uh, the beginning of the race in the uh, when AJ Allmendinger was running alone quicker than the pack. Uh, that and, and they just looked on television. I mean, they just looked slow uh, at the beginning of the race. I, uh, you know, and from a broadcasting standpoint, the, the broadcasters, which um, haven't mentioned yet you know, Kevin Harvick being in the booth for the first time, um, calling the race along with Clint Boyer and, 
and Mike Joy, they didn't seem exactly, you know, thrilled about this strategy either, but it, I guess it is what it is with this package in, in the, the super speedway racing right now. But, um, when you look at later on in the race, you know, the Fords, uh, there was a point in time in that race where, you know, you, you saw Logano up front. Uh, this was right around the time of the, the big one, um, and Keselowski up there and, and a, a couple of the Fords that you're, you know, you're used to seeing the speed out of these guys that here on the, these types of tracks. But, um, I thought overall, I mean, the Chevy and Toyota really did bring it and, you know, it really, really tilted in the favor of, of Chevy at the end of the race. When you look at the, especially when you look at the cars that did survive the big one, um, man, one of the most memorable ones we, we might see all year, kind of a save being in the middle of that crash was Chase Elliott. Um, just incredible. He made it through there. And then you saw, you know, there was the Hendrick up front along with, you know, Ross Chastain had a chance right at the end as well. Um, so it did set up nice, uh, for Chevy. So, I mean, overall, I, I feel like all three manufacturers, you know, really, really did well and, and probably executed what they wanted to, uh, throughout the entire race for the most part. My one thing I, I would add to that is that I, I will like agree with you on term in terms of Kevin Harvick. He, him in the booth was fantastic, and I thought he really did a, his best thing. He brought was the explanation when it's a dead air time when it, you really have to have a good guy in the booth explaining situations when there's a red flag and you're seeing multiple replays of a wreck. I thought Kevin Harvick shined during that moment when he was explaining what the drivers were going through as the big one was happening. I thought uh, that I really added a lot to the broadcast. Uh, the The whole strategy deal, um, I do think that the Chevys worked really, really well together in the duels, both in the duels and then again, in the 500, I will say that I don't necessarily think that they were as fast drafting together when it was just their group compared to the Fords. Cause I do think that last pit stop, the Fords had a terrible, it didn't seem that they had as smooth of a transition on and off pit road as the Chevys did, but the Fords caught them pretty quickly. I don't know. It just seemed like they may have been going, might've been going faster uh, there. Um, they did kind of get saved by Larson as they mentioned in the booth, just throwing a hellacious block and, and uh, slowing down that line. Um, but another driver, I thought uh, the Chevy camp that probably had the best race in my opinion for the majority of it was Kyle Busch. I mean, he got shuffled to the back multiple times, a couple times by his pit crew's own doing, and he found his way to the front every single time. The one time he didn't find his way to the front was at the end when it mattered, but it seemed like all race, Kyle Busch was getting up to the front quickly. I mean, it didn't even take a lot of time most of the time where it seemed like a lot of drivers were kind of hanging back at points like Denny Hamlin was. But then you just have Kyle Busch just rocket to the front and take the lead. I wonder how that will transition this week to Atlanta for Busch. Yeah, all valid points for sure on, you know, especially like the Fords. They did race really well. Like Logano, I think, was hands down like the strongest car overall. Uh, in the field, it just he, he didn't um, have, I guess, the right help to to make it happen. Uh, I will say to the point about Harrison Burton, it is very tough luck for him. I was doing some math. Out of 613 possible Daytona 500 laps um, in the last three seasons, so 22 through through yesterday, uh, he has only completed 277 of those. 210 came last year in the Daytona 530. And he has an average finish of 34.67 in three Daytona 500 attempts, including two 39th place finishes. That's uh, bad. I mean, that's, but like the two, the last, like the first, his first Daytona 500 was like not his fault because if you remember, I think he got, he got, I think Brad was just pushing too hard. And uh, I think he 
toppled over and went onto his roof in like a yeah. couple laps in. But um, the other thing that I think that they brought up on the booth, I can't remember if it was uh, Clint or Kevin, but I think it might've been Clint that uh, Joey is, is one of the best pushers uh, in racing in, in NASCAR. And I think that that helped him for a lot of the race because he, he was putting himself in a good position. And I think that it's really, really important to note guys like that because Brad Keselowski is not a good pusher. And I think he gets antsy a little too much. And I think that we talked about that a little last week that, um, yeah, like, like I didn't really see a ton of busher, uh, yesterday. Um, there were a couple Fords that I was a little surprised by, but Brad actually looked pretty good um, at different parts of the race. And I thought Blaney overall was pretty strong for most of it. Um, Reddick is another one who I looked at and I thought had a really, really solid run and would have been in it up until the very end. And, you know, it, it just it's how it broke, I suppose. But there was a, there was a lot of action in different parts that made it interesting throughout. I, I will say, um, it definitely seems like you remember a few years ago when Ricky Stenhouse Jr. had that reputation of like, oh boy, you don't want to be behind or beside Ricky at a at a, a super speedway. Is it fair to say that 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 the person who has taken on that new role and the new identity is Brian Kozlowski? Yes. It seems like uh, an awful lot of the the crashes seem to come off of his bumper one way or another. I don't know how his bumper didn't hit Ross Chastain on the big one. Have you seen the slow-mo replays of that where it was literally Harvick kind of mentioned it, but it it looks like it warped around his Ross Chastain's <laughs> back bumper from hitting him. For sure. What 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 I think it was just what 2 years ago when it, they were coming down to the pretty much the final turn in Keselowski and Logano and there was a they had had the fiery crash. I think that was a McDowell win. And, yes. Uh, oh yeah. And, and Kyle Busch was in it, and Brad Keselowski was like he got out of the car and was just beside himself, threw his helmet at, at the car, and that then you know that was two teammates right up front, and they they didn't give an inch. So I mean the, those two guys, it's always, uh, <laughs> I so I I. I like what you said there, Braxton, that, you know, I think he, Brad, he, as in he, um, as in Brad is getting that new reputation It kind of taking it over from anyone else in the garage and kind of getting a little squirrely, I guess in maybe one B might be Ross Chastain just because some of the recent incidents of the past year or so, but, uh, you, you just kind of knew something was going to happen, uh, when Brad was up, up, front there and Logano was right there just because of how aggressive those guys are. The other thing. Oh, sorry, Jay, I can finish. No, that that was me. Sorry. Uh, I was just going to say that Logano seemed really upset with Ross Chastain's blocking, but I thought it was a great, I mean, what are you going to do if you're Ross? Cause he had two Fords lined up behind him. If he doesn't block, he's getting sent to the back of the pack. I don't think he ever, you know, what had an egregious block like we've seen before. He was blocking from the high line to the low line where you end up having a, a lot of room potentially. I I, don't, I understand why Joey Logano was frustrated, but that's definitely not the worst Ross moves we've ever seen with him blocking. I thought he, it was actually a pretty good block, John. No, and, and he was – and I think he wasn't waiting till like, the last second to block yes. either and, like, causing a wreck. Like, he was moving down. Like, was still, like, more than, like, you know, half a car length or, or more – you know, before anybody was getting to his bumper. Well, I, I think also the, the, um, this wasn't a blocking issue, but Bowman caused quite a, a little bit of a wreck that made a sizable difference in the actual race. Um, but I didn't really understand what he was doing. It looked, he just wasn't lifting. It looked like, I mean, I don't, well, no, in that spot, I saw I really like in the it. replay, like they showed like the onboard and it sounded like he was lifting, but you know, at those kinds of tracks, at least I feel like, there's only so much he can lift before he's going to get plowed from behind too. So uh, maybe, you know, I haven't seen like the the face on that had the audio of him lifting compared to like the head on that looks that where he was like going and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe he was lifting after everybody started turning in front of him, but 
I definitely, I heard like either Clint or Kevin mention on the broadcast last night that it seemed like, uh, it seemed like Bowman lifted and as Byron got squirrely and you just, unless you slam on the brakes, there's nothing more he could have really done there, but like I said, you risk getting run over yourself doing that. I think Gluck posted the interview with Bowman after Jeff Gluck that Bowman said he couldn't see what was happening in front of him, which also makes sense too. When you're locked in in a bumper like he was, it's gotta be, I mean, I I can only imagine as, you know, driving my own 2003 Ford Taurus down the road, I can't see when the car's in front of me, let alone driving 200 miles, nearly 200 miles an hour at Daytona in the middle of a turn, (laughs) how difficult that's got to be to see a car ahead of you. Totally. Um, Because Steve, you mentioned earlier in the podcast, the truck race, I feel I have to mention this, uh, this stat from Trey Ryan 99 on uh, the Twitter machine that says uh, 2023 had the highest percentage of races under caution in truck series history. 30% 30% was of every race was under caution on average. So basically, one out of every three laps in the truck series in 2023 was under caution, which is insane. And then they, they had 12 cautions in uh, the race on Friday night, a new record for the truck series. A lot of those uh, were like I really think... stupid cautions, though. Like, I mean, like they should have never happened. Like there were, I mean, they, obviously they should have happened. It's not like they shouldn't have thrown a, thrown the yellow, but um, it just, it's, I don't know if it's just these guys are like reckless, more reckless or just aggressive. A lot of them are young though. And I don't know if that has anything to do with it. I feel like it probably does. Like usually like the youngest, you know, they really haven't drafted like that. And they, you know, those cars punch such, or the trucks punch such a big hole in the air that, you know, their handling is way different than anything that they've ever raced before. And I feel like the trucks are honestly underpowered compared to like a lot of the super late models that they're coming up from anyways. So, um, you know, that, that plays a factor in it too. I also th- remember uh, a discussion that was had last year because there were some cautions that were like extended in, the, in some truck series races. Like there was like new race directors who rather inexperienced as well that probably could have contributed to that high lap count but still jake did you have something you want to add there well just that uh they're way above their pace there uh for 2024 <laughs> they're 51 of the 101 laps in the oh trucks my God. were under caution on friday night and hey they're going to another drafting track this weekend <laughs> <laughs> buckle up Oh boy. Um, get back to my notes here. Uh, we didn't talk much about Arca usually on this podcast, but, but Dylan, you brought up Andy J uh, for his, I'm not lifting until I see God or a checker flag quote. And that's all time. That's gotta be all time quote, all time quote. Um, I also got to mention um, Gus Dean who did win the Arca race on Friday night. Man, he was a bull in a china shop doing it. He spun two teammates to win that race, and and the and neither of them were seemed accidental. I think he wrecked Tony Breidinger <laughs> pretty early in the race, and then and I don't know if you guys heard about this, but he he agreed to do a teammate restart coming to the last restart of the race with Jake Finch. Then basically said, "Screw you, I'm going to race for myself," <laughs> and and didn't let Finch in, which. I'm okay with with that if that's going to be your thing all along, but don't BS your teammate and then wreck him to win. I don't understand why he said that though, because I was watching that. First of all, that that was at like what twelve thirty a.m. <laughs> like at I think least, that yeah. it, it ended at like twelve forty five a.m. I I didn't really understand that. I thought though that uh, it, it, I I really thought that Andy J had a had a had a chance at the end there. Like they were coming to that, to that, you know, the, the green again. And, and I was like, anybody really could win this race. I thought Van Alst got close too. Um, and I, what was the, uh, who was the last wreck? I can't remember who it was now. I don't even, I'm not going to go back and look, but um, it, he was the last person. I think that it caught, it was the last caution before the last, uh, the last green flag 
I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But, it feels um, like eternity ago at this point, right? I know. Um, but uh, I like, you know, I think ARC is fun racing. I mean, the, the speeds aren't that crazy and it's always a wreck fest. So if you like that kind of stuff, I think it would be really interesting for you. But um, just not, I mean, I don't know. It was a wreck fest. That's kind of just how I look at it. I don't see yeah. anybody in the ARCA series right now that I look at like they're, you know, they're going to be like a Jesse Love. You know, I don't think that that person exists right this very second. No, I don't either. You make the case maybe Jake Finch, but I don't think that that he is one in like late models to the same level that like a William Sawalich. William Sawalich, I think, might be in the Arca. He's he's stuff. very very young though. He's I think like sixteen, so he probably yeah. couldn't race Daytona, but he will he will wipe everybody's floor in the uh, in the short track stuff on Arca. Yeah, for sure. Um. Do, do you guys want to talk about the, the Charter stuff or the Xfinity race next? Because uh, I felt like the Xfinity race was pretty exciting last night, uh, but also the the Charter news that came out over the weekend is pretty big as well. So I'll put it up to you guys. Dealer's choice. I'll Dealer's say Charters. Choice. Just because I had to watch replays because I have a 3 a.m. wake-up call during the weeknights, so... Wolf. <laughs> so not watch the race live. So in case any of you missed it over the weekend, I came out from, I think the initial story was broken by the Associated Press's Jenna Fryer that the, uh, the teams, the race team Alliance, all the charter holding teams uh, invited NASCAR to meet with all of them at collectively uh, at Daytona and NASCAR declined that invitation instead stating that they want to meet with the teams individually. Uh, and then subsequently it came out that the race team Alliance had uh, retained renowned antitrust attorney, Jeffrey Kessler uh, in, in somewhat of an advisory role as things plow ahead on the negotiations for a uh, updated charter deal. And I think those two things uh, are Connected, of course, but also a bit mutually independent uh, in that, um, like, I personally feel like that NASCAR wanting to meet with the teams individually, um, I, I understand it on one hand because they want to try to get the the vibe of each team individually instead of just the, the negotiating committee. But, man, I feel like that's opening up Pandora's box for them to... Uh, um, to basically try to pit the teams against each other and, and weaken their negotiating power. And, and I'm not a fan of that necessarily. Um, and then with, with retaining Jeffrey Kessler, I mean, if you look at his judgments and the things that he has won, he won name, name, image, and likeness rights for a college athlete. He got the um, United States women's national soccer team, their equal pay uh, with the men's national soccer team. He has been at the forefront of, uh, of all these major landmark cases in the last you know, handful of years uh, on the, in the sports world. So uh, I think it's definitely a point of strength for the teams to have him on their side. Um, if for anything, that if something does go to litigation, which I don't think it will, but if it does, he already got him locked up, so he's not going to be working for NASCAR now. So I think that's a point of strength for the race teams. But it definitely seems like uh, it's far from being over. I certainly, Oh, go ahead, Steve. Well, I was just going to say, I think I don't really, I think like if I I was reading Denny Hamlin's quotes and let me actually just pull it up here since I have it. He said, um, and this is from Jenna Fryer's article from the Associated Press. he, He said, there's only a seat if you're allowed a seat and there's only going to they're only going to allow a seat in a certain in, in a few certain situations, but I do think there's avenues to the drivers being more equitable in the sport in the future. Sure, but I don't think that I thought I think they're farther away than I had initially thought they were in these negotiations. Agreed. And because you know there have been like there's been it seems like incremental progress on it, but it just seems like NASCAR is saying you know. It, it seems like one, both sides are are saying that the other is asking for too much, which I get is part of negotiations. Um, but this is kind of uh, concerning a little bit because 
you know, I, I don't exactly know where either side is trying to go right now, because a lot of these, I think like there's only so much Denny can say, and I know people have feelings on, on, on Denny about, uh, you know, on the track and stuff, but I think that he's invaluable in his ability to relay information to people who are just average fans who may not know what's going on, but it seems like nobody really knows what's going on. You know, the only information we keep hearing is that they're, they're, you know, further away uh, and that things aren't seemingly getting any better. So I'll be honest with you. Like, I really don't know what to think about this whole situation. I remember last year on this podcast, we, uh, I don't know what week it was. I think we were talking about the pe- some of the penalties, just, wanting a little more transparency on some things and I and I agree with you Steve I, I'm not exactly sure what to make of it because it seems like you know there is uh, some blaming going back and forth and I uh, have uh, Steve Steve Phelps a NASCAR president on Sirius XM during the Daytona 500 media day was talking about it saying, you know, I've said this for two years, we're going to do a fair deal and the fair deal is going to provide more money to the race teams and we'll give them a path toward profitability, which is what they want and an opportunity to increase the enterprise value of their charters. Um, But it just seems there's seems to be such a disconnection. And I guess what they're, what NASCAR is thinking is not necessarily the the fair deal that that the teams think. Um, one one crazy idea that I, I saw throughout some of the some of this over the weekend that I mean it won't happen. Um, Adam Stern had a uh, on on the Twitter machine had a tweet talking about how the negotiating team said that there would be no discussion of creating a breakaway league not sanctioned by NASCAR, and there's no current consideration of staging races at non-NASCAR facilities without NASCAR uh, governance. I mean, thank goodness. I mean, there's no chances of that. That would be an absolute disaster, but that's obviously not going to happen. But just just one thing to actually think about. but I think overall, it's. I hate how it's kind of. We're dragging it into the season, and it, it didn't take away from the D- Daytona 500 at all. But, I mean, for that to be a, one of the major storylines of your, you know, quote unquote Super Bowl weekend, is very disappointing. We consider too that it came out like on Sunday while the race was supposed to be ran. So there's no track activity. So everybody is reading about this and talking about this. I think that's worst case scenario for NASCAR. No, definitely. But I also think that's by design. You got to realize that both sides are negotiating in this deal. And that was leaked, quote unquote, uh, and posted by design. You know, I mean, they wanted that information to get out at that time. So um, not saying that, you know, Stern is Adam Stern is doing that. Intentionally, he's getting information and sharing it as a journalist does. So not putting him under the bus by any means. I'm just saying that it's it's a negotiation tactic by one of the sides. I will say, yes, it's major news, but I don't really think it's it's not transition translating to like Bob Levy of ESPN level. It being that serious, like a player strike in NFL MLB or NBA. I don't think it's to that level yet. Um, but it does seem like it's getting close to that. It'll be interesting. I keep seeing rumor, like rumblings, that is, about the break during the summer for the Olympics being a key you know, moment for this whole negotiation process where you'll have two weeks to, to you know, get to the negotiating table and have time to try to get a deal done yeah i mean the um i think it was very interesting that like michael jordan was in this meeting of all the team owners and and i feel like that's very telling because i think there's 
a, a person involved in 2311 that a lot of people don't realize is involved. This guy's name is Curtis Polk. He is one of, he's basically Michael Jordan's business right-hand man. Um, and he is a partner in 2311 along with Denny and MJ. Um, and Curtis is involved in the negotiating committee as well. Uh, and and I feel like a lot of times that Curtis does a lot of the the talking for um, for MJ's business interests, but for him to be part of the negotiating committee, I think that that says a lot, and I think that's a a strong point for the negotiating committee because of all the different business ventures that Michael Jordan has been involved in, especially having just recently sold his stake in the Charlotte Hornets uh, NBA team. Like, so he knows what it's like to be an owner in a another major sport in this country. Um, I think the big quote out of this story from Jenna Fryer uh, came from Curtis Polk. It says, we want to make a deal. We are just looking for a fair deal. There is no give and take. We've been told this is all there is. There is no flexibility. That's not a negotiation. That's, I think, the most uh, striking quote to come out of that story from uh, from Fryer and and. Curtis did not mince words there. I think he definitely sent a message that uh, that that the teams feel like it's been a one-sided deal, and it'll be very interesting to watch. I personally am really interested in in a lot of the business aspects of it, and I think Jake, you made a good point too. Of it's not necessarily just all about money. Like there's certainly other things that I think NASCAR the teams want control over, or at least some sort of some better say in. Um, and Steve, that kind of goes to your quote too that you you pointed out from uh from Denny is that, you know, it's not necessarily just about money. Like, I'm sure the teams want to have some sort of some say and and leverage in the, the penalty process. I'm sure they want to have their suggestions for how to improve the cars and the racing to be more heard and ha- and be locked in to be heard that the NASCAR just can't brush it off. Because um, we've all heard, we've talked about it on this podcast, how many times the drivers say that more horsepower would fix a lot of things on the short tracks. And it's always NASCAR pushes back and says, no, 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 no. Um, I'm sure that's probably coming up. It's probably a speculation on my part, but I'm, I'm sure it's probably come up in some discussions about what teams want. Um, but it'll be very interesting to see how all this plays out. And um, and yeah, so I guess as long as this continues to play out, then uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Racing will probably have... Uh, a, a business segment, uh, which which is fine with me and enlightens me, and hopefully we can enlighten some of you fans as well. Uh, it's just some of the the business mind of how all that works a little bit. We're certainly not experts, but I try to uh, to read up and study on business as much as I can, and hopefully pass a little bit of knowledge on to you guys. Um, so I think that wraps up the business segment for this week. Uh, let's tune into the Xfinity race because I think that was probably the race of the weekend, and I feel like I can say that another. 32 times this week or this season uh the uh the the crazy amount of slicing and dicing the xfinity race had was incredible especially through like stage two and and early part of stage three was really really good racing and they uh they put on a heck of a show for anybody who stayed up to watch it i was uh focused on the last few i don't know how many laps it was i don't know when um it was Natalie Decker was leading and they were, I think she was with two other people and I can't remember who they were. Yeah. So it was, so Anthony Alfredo was in that pack, but he was a lap down. Um, Ryan Ellis was in that pack and Garrett Smithley was in that pack. It was a four car breakaway. Yeah. Uh, Western PA native Garrett Smithley. But um, uh, so I was, I was kind of hoping for chaos because uh, she was getting a lot of hate (laughs) on there and like some of it some of it was like ridiculous but um you know it's always funny when you see some of those cars who aren't necessarily back markers but in this case maybe was a back marker uh like trying to hold out for a caution while everybody else had pitted for fuel and tires or fuel or tires and gets the caution and so i was like thinking to myself well there is a chance here that natalie decker wins this race and twitter gets set on fire. It didn't actually happen that way. Um, but the last few laps were, were really good. I I was hoping that it wasn't going to be Austin Hill because I think that it would have been nice to see a different winner, uh, than the last previous two years. But overall, I thought Riley Herbst looked good too. Um, and, uh, Sheldon Creed, uh, were 
kind of at the top of my list is people who I thought looked really, really solid uh, in, in the in the Xfinity race. Shane Van Gisbergen looked pretty good for a little bit of it. Um, and then he ended up snagging a top 15 finish somewhere. Uh, but um, yeah, it was fine. I mean, it, it was, it was a good, it was a good overall solid race to watch. Um, you know, it probably was the best racing of the weekend, but again, they have the cars that uh, provide that type of racing, whereas the cup does not. So, um, you know, I guess kind of on to the next week, but the, uh, you know, the first two stages were, were pretty good, but the last, I would say 20 laps of that race were really, really good. How about, uh, we've, we mentioned, uh, Natalie Decker in this race. I saw the Xfinity series, uh, send out on X that she is, she led seven laps and was, is the first woman to lead in an Xfinity series race since Danica Patrick in 2013. So that that's quite the accomplishment, and that's uh, I was watching that um, and kind of that strategy play out with the three four cars in that group. Man, I was I really I really wanted to see the the chaos, and and you usually usually get you know the crazy chaos and finishes in these Xfinity Series races. Now the end, I mean, Austin Hill won winning. Th- you know, three times in a row, a three-peat at Daytona. That's kind of unheard of, really, because just because of the the chances, uh, you really have to have things go your way in at these types of tracks. Um, but there he is again, and uh, he'll be one of those when we're, you know, in the dog days of summer here in August and heading into the playoffs just like uh, the past few years, Austin Hill will be right up there as a championship contender in this series. Um, when I look through uh, down the race results here, um, you got to give a shout out to some of these guys who ran the Daytona 500. And you would think being in a race like that might just suck the life right out of you. Um, and then they come back. You know, I don't. I'm trying to think of when the 500 finished to when the green flag in the Xfinity was. Couldn't been it was hour, barely more than an hour. Barely more than an hour. Yeah, you come back, you, you get back in the car, go another 120 laps. There's Riley Herbst, John Hunter Nemechek, AJ Allmendinger. Um, you know, guys like that. Anthony Alfredo was in the race, the Xfinity race. Um, yeah, that that was certainly an impressive feat. A rare. It's it. It was very. Very different to have, you know, the Daytona 500 and all the adrenaline and excitement and the finish and everything and the prestige of that race followed by the Xfinity Series race and the Xfinity Series put on just as good of a show. Um, And I know you guys have said you guys think it was better quality racing than the 500, but um, overall, I I thought it was very exciting. this this Xfinity series and this field that raced has has a lot of big names. I I think for for the Xfinity series. I mean, they they have some a lot of star power. I would say, um, you know, obviously things didn't go Haley Deacon's way, but you can. I mean, she's as big of a name as it can get right now in that series. And we just talked about you know Natalie Decker. Then there's John Hunter Nemechek. Um, still racing and Shane Van Gisbergen. I mean, in the story last year. So I think this this series is just very, very compelling with, with what they have going on right now. Yeah, like I said, I wasn't able to watch it live, but the replays, you know, it did have that typical Xfinity series at Daytona feel. Austin Hill just incredible. Uh, he's in the Cup Series this week at Atlanta. Interesting to see what he can do in the 16 car um there but i thought svg did pretty good i mean what else can you expect he's had a nice little save there from completely wrecking on the front stretch um i thought he he performed well it'll be exciting when he finally gets a chance to run a cup series car eventually on the plate tracks i feel like that'll be a big story worldwide really 
Yeah, I got to give a shout out to uh, Parker Retzloff and Jordan Anderson in the uh, Jordan Anderson Racing Machines, finishing third and fourth. That's a uh, a big big result for those two uh, cars in that three car organization. And the third car and uh, and Jeb Burton was up there mixing it up for a while, finished fifth in the first stage, and uh, and got caught up in in a couple accidents, not really of his own doing, but uh, you know, that was a really good run for that organization for sure. Um, Tough break for Haley Deegan, just gets caught up in nuts. Same story as the truck series for her career, right? Just gets caught up in another mess, not not her fault. Uh, and in that same crash, a wicked hard hit for Sam Mayer. Um, and I, I'd be curious to see how sore he is today. Uh, that was a crazy hard hit for sure. Um, All right. Well, I think we're just about, just about have talked about everything we can with Daytona. Uh, let's talk about our picks from the Daytona 500, if that's okay with you guys. Um, who finished the best of us? Um, oh, Steve had a fifth place finish from Bubba Wallace on our actual picks. Um, the rest of us didn't do so hot. So um, Chase Elliott was Jake's pick. He finished 14th, collected 33 points by way of the stage win. Um I had Denny Hamlin, who finished 19th and got 22 points. Then Dylan finished uh, 33rd with Brad Keselowski getting four points. So last year's champion in our actual picks, uh, starting off behind the eight ball this year. Uh, Dylan, that makes you the first picker for Atlanta. Uh, who are you leading towards for, uh, for Super Speedway Racing version two coming up this coming week? I'm sticking with the Ford stable. I was going to stick with Brad Kozlowski, but I'm not. I'm going with Ryan Bellaney. He seems really ticked off after this past weekend. And uh, like when Ryan Blaney's ticked off, he usually drives well. Very true. And we, we just mentioned a second ago, um, Sam Mayer's hard hit. But man, Blaney took an insane hit on in the tri-oval uh, during the duel. I think they say that he wears a mouthpiece um that measures g forces is one of the last couple of years and said that this one measured over 50 g's and somebody Whoa. did the math and figured out that for a split second when his head was feeling 50 g's that for a split second his head felt like it weighed 600 pounds Jeez, that's nuts yeah they said he had to, he had to wear a different helmet in the 500 compared to the, the duel because of that i'm not sure if it damage the shell or if it's a precautionary thing that they want don't want to take a chance or anything but when you're having to swap out a helmet after a crash like that that is something serious all right dylan you have uh blaney the next one would be oh it's me um i'm not gonna go toyota on this one mm, i might go ford as well i might go joey joey was so strong at uh at daytona that i think you can Put it together at, at Atlanta. Next, uh, Jake, who do you like at Atlanta? You just picked the uh, the Georgia native, uh, Chase Elliott, uh, last week. So who are you going for this time? I will keep this pattern going and go with the Ford and pick Brad Kozlowski. Okay. Uh, shout out to our boy Ryan at iFantasy Race. Just sent out a stat today saying, uh, in his opinion, the best driver last year at Atlanta was Brad. He fin- he won stage two in the summer, finished sixth. In the spring race, he finished second. And that was the race where he led 29 of the final 30 laps, but not the last one. So, I don't know. Uh, now, the question is, will Steve pick a Ford? Uh, I, think, I thought you would say the question is, will Brad even make it to the finish well, line? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> We'll see. I would like I would like to see odds put on that. Um, I uh, I'm actually going to go with the Dawsonville native Chase Elliott because he is extremely good at Atlanta and he's won there before. And I didn't want to pick a Ford because everyone else was picking a Ford. I was kind of running out of good Fords to pick that I thought would actually win. So yeah, I'm going Busher. with my- Michael McDowell, yeah, Todd Gilliland think... ran towards Legano. the front of the Daytona 500 for a while. I had Logano. 
Okay. Yeah, I can't pick Lugano. I would say if I had to if I had to pick a Ford, it would probably be Busher. Um, but I'm I'm going with Chase Elliott. I think that all right. I think that this is his get right race. Like last yesterday was really solid, a solid run for him. Won the first stage. To, he's going to carry that momentum into uh, into Atlanta. All right. While so, we've been recording this show, the odds have been posted on a couple of the sites, ooh. and uh, the favorites right now on Caesars. It's kind of fluctuated literally since the show started. But Ryan Blaney are both nine to one odds. Denny Hamlin's at plus nine fifty. And then a huge lineup of cars at plus 12, I mean, at 12 to 1 odds. Brad Kozlowski, Christopher Bell, which is a little surprising. Mm-hmm. Kyle Larson, um, William Byron, Chase Elliott, and Kyle Bush are all at 12 to 1 odds. Okay, then. Who'd you say it was, uh, was it 9 to 1? With... And then it, oh. Blaney's gotten some money at the start. Who, who, who'd you say was at 9 to 1? Was it Hamlin and Joey? It was Joey and Ryan Blaney. Blaney, okay. All righty then. Let's go on to our random picks where uh, none of us did too hot at all. Uh, I think three of the four of us finished 30th or worse. So uh, Jake had uh, had Joey Logano who finished 32nd getting five points. Dylan and I both had uh, Daniel Suarez who finished 34th. He got 12 points with some stage points in there. And then Steve was was sitting pretty until about uh, 200 yards before the white flag came out. Uh, and Austin Cindric, uh got spun out in that in that last track with Ross Chastain. Ends up finishing last car in the lead lap, 22nd. But uh, through stage points, got 24 points. So, uh, so Steve is leading the point standings in random as we head into our first uh, random, uh, or second random draw of the season. And so the... Picking order will be Dylan and then me, then uh, Jake and then Steve. So we'll go ahead and give her a spin. Sound effects. And Dylan, now. your pick is Ooh, Josh yikes. Berry. Okay, I was really hoping for Tyler Reddick, which it almost got stuck on, and I like Tyler Reddick to do well in this race, but. I love the All applause right. we're getting. Yeah, sound effects. We got the applause. <laughs> oh, I'm not hearing the applause, but that's cool. <laughs> it's from the, uh, the the wheel app. Is congratulating whoever wins. So this is my pick. Oh boy! Oh, oh. man! <laughs> Willie B. <laughs> William Byron. That would okay. be something. If he pulls He's that off, didn't he? Didn't he win this race? Last he, year? I think he did win the summer yes, race though, last did. year. And All right, this is going to be summer Jake's race, pick. Was it Christopher Bell? I th- no, it wasn't. Christopher Hold on. I don't know. Oh. Oh. Austin Hill. Okay. Austin Hill. Austin Hill in the 16 car. Okay. That's, an, I, that's I, not, I, I just talked him up. All right. And he's a Georgia guy. I think he's won in Atlanta before. All right. And here is Steve's pick. Reed. Oh, also getting Oh, Austin. no. Oh wow! Oh, I think that's a sign. Somebody needs to put a little pizza money on Austin Hill to win. See what his odds are. Well, last week we had what two two uh, Suarez, and now we have two two Austin Hills. Yeah. Wait a minute. I'm looking. Did Byron win both Atlanta races? Hold on. Or wait, no. I don't think so. I feel like I'm going cry. I have to look this up now because I'm curious. Well, Caesar's doing a great job not updating their books because they do not have Austin Hill even on their odds list. So that's yeah, I wow. think, I So think... Atlanta one last year was Joey Logano. Oh, it was Logano. And, uh, that's right. Atlanta two last year was William Byron. Gotcha. Okay. All right. But didn't Alrighty. Byron win the first I think Byron won the first race since the repave so that was the 2022 atlanta was william byron that is correct in yeah. march yeah. and then the summer race they didn't have a second race at atlanta that no they did chase elliott won that one yes that was the infamous Corey LaJoy. oh yes. yes that's right that's right all right dylan um 
the million dollar question for this weekend, because we're over two on NASCAR weekend so far, is it going to rain in Atlanta? Uh, I will say maybe a little bit, but it shouldn't impact much of the racing. It is Sunday's looking dry for sure. It's Saturday that could have a couple showers during the afternoon hours. It's kind of just been a trend of the last day. I would have said dry all weekend, but Saturday afternoon, maybe something. But overall, um, it's not going to be too bad. It may end up being a couple degrees warmer in Atlanta than it was for the Daytona 500, which... Well, that was going to be my next question, because I, I remember a handful of times, a handful of years ago, uh, that it was it was a cold Atlanta race. It, then it, it, snowed, it be, snowed there a couple of years ago, right? Yes, it did. It's going to be kind of a mix between... Uh, what am I trying to say? It's going to be basically Daytona weather, minus, minus the sunshine, a little bit more cloud cover Sunday, but low to mid-60s for highs Sunday afternoon. Okay. It's Saturday that there might be a light shower, but I, it's not looking like a washout. So, yeah, much better than anything we've had so far this year. Okay. Well, well, we know this is a lot of time between now and Sunday and now on the weekend, even though it is already Tuesday. Um, things can change. I will just want to say I put a poll up Sunday morning asking when fans would want to see the Daytona 500 rescheduled to before or after 5 o'clock. And I should have set the Vegas lines because it was at over 1,500 votes and 37% said after 5 o'clock, 37% said before 5 o'clock, and around 20-some percent said um, 5 o'clock. So five on the dot. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's about – if there was a Vegas line on when, <laughs> when the race is going to be rescheduled to, it would have been over under 5 o'clock. <laughs> That's uh that that was amazing when we saw it happening over the weekend. It was a yeah. a, a well run poll for sure. And it sounds All like right. NASCAR fans to a T. No agreement whatsoever about anything. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> uh, for sure. Although I did see that I, I think um Jeff Gluck's poll is is trending very strongly towards it was a good race yesterday. I do it's what, over eighty? I think it would have been over ninety had the had it gone to had it gone to the checkered flag, then yes. Yes. That that is the only thing I've seen anyone complaining about. Um, I saw a Formula One TikToker that watched the race. You know, he tr- was critical at the end, but from a Formula One's fan perspective, he was really into the strategy call, which I know a lot of people are frustrated. It's you know, why are we saving fuel? Why do we have to pit at the end of the stages? But I do think what happened in the Daytona 500 is exactly what NASCAR envisioned to happen with the fuel with the stages at super speedways yeah totally all right anything you guys want to add as we look forward to atlanta it'll be all three series in action again this weekend um i i hope personally for the uh the the checkbooks of every team owner in all three series that there is far less damage that happens this weekend than last weekend i saw somebody pose a a a a question on on Twitter to uh, Chris Knight, one of the uh, co-owners of Catch Fence, a NASCAR reporting service. That it's like there's got to be five to ten million dollars in damage this collective weekend, right? Between uh, the duels, all four and all four races, ARCA, Trucks Cup, and Xfinity, and uh, and and Chris said easily. Uh, yes. So that I guess that that could be a part of the problem with the finances in the sport overall is when you can go through like five million dollars of damage at least in a weekend. That is not healthy for the sport. Um, so fingers crossed that that uh, that cleans up a little bit better. But anything else you guys want to add as we look forward to Atlanta? Just that I think the Daytona 500 should be should start at at least four o'clock every year. Mm-hmm. I have one thing to add. Yeah, it was seeing the golden hour and everything, and you see both parts of the race, you know, day and night. I'll add one thing about the 500, and I saw this um, uh, tweeted out by NASCAR Classics, and I don't think it should come as a surprise, but it's just kind of the official changing of the guard that 10 of the top 11 finishers in the in the 500 uh, were born in the 1990s. Um, so we're getting, uh, and they tweeted out, you know, the races that have gone by throughout the years of drivers in the, 
They were born before 1990, and the only one in the in the top 11 is AJ Allmendinger. Um, <laughs> that was born outside of that. So we're it, it's it's a changing of the guard here in the Cup Series for sure. Most definitely. And I want to give a quick shout out to Steve's pick from last week, Bubba Wallace. Now with, I believe, the highest finishing average finish at Daytona now of any active driver, he's done great the last couple, uh, several Daytona 500s that he's been in, keeping his nose clean. And I think he would have had a real shot to make some noise on that last lap had there not been a caution. So see if he can drive well this week. He hasn't had a ton of success at this new Atlanta, but it just take one time as we see with William Byron going from DNF and terrible finishes his entire career at the Daytona 500 to winning. So. Alrighty. Well, Atlanta coming up with all three series racing this weekend, I believe it's a doubleheader Saturday. Then it's the schedule right now, doubleheader Saturdays and the cup race on Sunday. And, uh, we'll be tuned in and come back uh, next week as we, uh, Recap Atlanta coming up just a week from now. So thank you all uh, so much for listening to Cloudy with a Chance of Racing uh, and bearing with us as we dealt with some hosting issues for our podcast last weekend. We think we got all that sorted out. Uh, so thank you all so much for listening and uh, and following along as well on social media at Cloudy Racing Pod. Uh, we're excited to get the season fully underway now in NASCAR as we head on to race number two at Atlanta Motor Speedway. For Dylan, Jake, and Steve, I'm Braxton. Thanks so much for listening to Cloudy with a Chance of Racing. We'll catch up with you after the weekend at Atlanta Motor Speedway.